Let's just go to the Lord one more time in prayer. Um, God, it's, it's amazing that, Lord, you invite us into your house and you love us and care for us and make us promises, God. A lot of times we promise to make up for things we've done wrong or our own shortcomings. It's very rarely, God, do we promise, God, out of the goodness of our heart. God, but you promise things to us because you're good. And you want us to know how good you are, that you are faithful. You tell us things beforehand as if they already were. And you call us your children. I think that's the greatest promise that you can give us is that, God, we know that we're going to be with you forever, as free as your children. So, God, this morning in your word, would you minister to each one of us, Holy Spirit? Would you fill us, take us out of the equation? God, would you do all the work you promise and you fulfill, and we just uh, get to enjoy you. So, God, forgive our sin and wash us and help us enjoy you this morning to know that we're forgiven, to know that we're washed, and that, God, we're free in you, Jesus. So, come soon, we pray, but until then, God, by your Holy Spirit, minister to us, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. So again this morning we're in Genesis uh, chapter 15. And the title of the message is Do Not Be Afraid, Abram. Do not be afraid, Abram. We hear that a lot in the Bible. Do not be afraid. I get the sense that everyone's afraid. And I think even people in the world are afraid. And if they're not afraid, they're just pretending (laughs) they're not afraid. Uh, Because when it comes down to it, we're all pretty scared. It's pretty scared little creatures. But what is a promise? What is a promise? We're going to look at some promises today. But a promise is, as far as the dictionary definition says, that it's a, de- uh, a declaration that something will or will not be done or given, etc., by one. An express assurance on which expectation is to be based. That when a promise is made, we can expect it to come true. That I promise I'll pay you on Tuesday for a cheeseburger today. You know, I promise that you'll get your paycheck in two weeks. You know, checks in the mail. You know, all, which one of these promises do we really believe here? Ones that have come true most of the time. Usually we really believe a promise after it's happened. But it's also something that has the effect of an express assurance, an indication of what may be expected. You know, sort of a contract. Maybe you've heard it been said that this person or this thing has promise or to have promise. You know, the, the new fangled gizmo that they're selling you at the store promises that your life will go from black and white bumbling of an infomercial to, ah, the glories of having this new gadget to make your life simpler. It makes you a promise, and most of the time that promise is sugar-coated and doesn't come true. But I ask, and I really kind of know, that we've all made promises, and, and have you made a promise? We've all made them. Other ones that maybe we haven't kept. We haven't kept. If there has, is there still a way to keep it? And encourage you to do what you can to keep your promises. Especially to God. Psalms talks about one who does something that he said to do, even to his own hurt. And he said to do something, and it turns out in the end it's probably going to hurt him or cost him something, and he still does it but especially to God. But do you know that God has a promise for you? 
I think as believers, we'd all kind of answer that yes on the multiple choice question. Oh yeah, God has promises for me. We might even say, oh yes, God has many promises for me. And maybe one of us who had the time to count through the scripture might even come up with a number like 3,573 promises in the Bible for me. That wasn't me. I only had time to Google it. Uh, And that number is an estimate. But have you heard them? Have you heard even one of those 3,500 some odd promises? And have you taken it to heart that even one of those 3,573 promises is for you personally? The first promise in the Bible is Genesis 3.15. It says, God says to Adam and Eve and the serpent, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. God promises the Messiah. The first promise in the Bible, God says, don't worry. You just blew it. But I'm going to destroy the enemy with my son. And he's going to come through you, Eve, the one whose sin came, uh, came through. But the last promise that was found in the Bible is Revelation. It also talks about a coming Messiah. And it says, he who testifies these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. That the first promise is about the Messiah to come and the last promise is about the Messiah to come back. But God has won today. Yes, even today. I don't know what it is for you. But I know that God has a promise for you. And that if you'll seek Him and listen for it, you might just receive it. And the best part about that promise is that you get to rest in it. Rest in it. If I promise my kids that we'll do something one day, they don't have to do anything to get it to happen. I'm the one who now has to go out and look and find and, and do the work. Let's, uh, let's pick it up in Genesis 15, and we'll read the first six verses together to start. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one will come from your own body, shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said to him, Look now toward heaven, and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And Abram believed in the Lord, and the Lord accounted to him for righteousness. You know, the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Have you, have I, ever had a vision? You know, have you ever had that vision from God? Something about, something that maybe you've been praying about, or wondering about, or worried about, or maybe you weren't even thinking about it at all, and you were just listening to a message, or you were out grocery shopping and the Lord just put something on your mind and on your heart. But do you know that, and, and a lot of times I think we hear vision and I think we expect it to be this virtual reality experience that all of a sudden we're transported to another world and you know, we've got all this going on. But I think sometimes it's just in your mind's eye. Sometimes maybe it's a dream, an actual dream. Sometimes it's just, wow, is that my imagination? Or is, uh, is this just something the Lord's placed on my heart? And you begin to pray about it and you realize, no, this, this vision that God has given me is from the Lord. You know, I can remember, I don't know that it was a vision or if it was just my own imagination and my desire, but I remember years ago being single and driving and 
and driving up the thruway and looking in the back seat and imagining a car seat with a child in it and just, oh man, Lord, how great that would be and, and just the desire and, you know, and, and seeing yesterday my oldest daughter turning five years old and two other children and sometimes, like you said, you know, we haven't met together for a while and we take it for granted and we come back and we realize and sometimes, you know, I'm around these little blessings all the time and I wonder sometimes, are they blessings when they're acting up? But they are. And all that goes away and I realize, man, God is good. And He has blessed me more than I could ever count. But vision and promise go hand in hand. I believe they're connected by faith. Because a vision is in a sense seeing God's promise fulfilled in your life. But the way it gets fulfilled is through our believing in it through faith. And I don't mean you just have any old vision or daydream from your pistachio ice cream and you put faith in that and claim it. But when God really begins to minister to you and you begin to put your faith and trust in it, you'll begin to see that vision come to pass. You know, like you and I were talking about yesterday, Bob, that, you know, we like to make things. And sometimes we have a vision for how that thing will turn out. And a lot of times when we first do it for the first time, it doesn't come out the way we expected because we're not a skilled craftsman or we're not a painter or we're not a chef. But we go, man, this doesn't look like it all. I remember trying to decorate a cake years ago and tried to make it look like axes and allies. And it just turned into a big thing of mush of color. And that's enough of this for me. <laughs> but other things, you know, at work, you know, we have a creative vision and we carry it through and it comes out at the end and go, oh, this looks almost like I wanted to look or it looks better than I wanted to look. Um, but God has perfect vision. He's got 20-20. A lot of us need glasses. God doesn't need glasses. And when he has vision, he sees it through to the end. And it's always exactly the way he wants it to look. Even if we mess it up, he still has a way of making it look right. But he says to Abram here in the beginning, do not be afraid. Abram, do not be afraid. We hear that a lot in the Bible. But why was Abram afraid? Well, it says after these things, and if you remember last week's study, if you've read chapter 14 before, when Abram goes out to rescue Lot from all the kings who are fighting in the valley and Lot gets himself in trouble because he's trusting in the world and his worldly provision goes bye-bye. Abram goes out to rescue him with the servant. But could he have been afraid? You know, he had this battle. Maybe he had PTSD, maybe he didn't, but maybe he's afraid of what's going to happen now. He went out and did this thing. Are these guys going to regroup and come after him? The king of Sodom came out and tried to bribe him and make an offering with him and repay him for what he did, and Abram wouldn't accept it. He's afraid that the king of Sodom is now going to be bitter towards him and try and take over. Um, you know, you start putting your hands into the things of the world and messing with worldly powers, even if it's for the right cause, they're going to get angry and they're going to come after you because that's just the way the world works. Um, and Abram was just buying, he had a couple of friends, but really in the grand scheme of things, he's just one guy with his, you know, his servants and his kingdom. Maybe he's afraid he was going to lose his position. I think also, as we read here and we see what he's asking God, he's afraid where his life was headed. That God had made him this promise that he left his homeland, he was out here, Lot gets in trouble, he has to go to war to get Lot back, he gets Lot back. I think he's starting to wonder if maybe he's at the end of his life. Maybe He's not, as we'll see, there's plenty of time left. But he's probably having a little bit of a midlife crisis here. You know, God, what else is going to happen? I'm going to die. You know, I, I could die any day, Lord. <laughs> I've got a couple gray hairs, God. <laughs> what, what's going to happen? You know, he's got a lot to think about. He has a lot to worry about. Even in Abram's day and age. You know, we have a lot to think about, a lot to worry about in our day and age. A lot that we don't really have to worry about it, but that begins to worry us. But we don't need to be afraid. And it's for the same reason 
that God said to Abram, God would say to us, God says to Abram, Abram, don't be afraid. I am. I am. And we read that throughout the Bible. That God says to Moses, I am that I am. That's who you say. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. But God says to Abram, I am your shield. I am your shield, your buckler, the guy who goes out and carries your shield and your, your spear into battle. That God is the one who goes before Abram. That Abram, yes, you fought this battle, but if you remember, you paid tithe to me. I'm the one who fought it for you. I'm the one who, I'm the one who's still going to protect you. I didn't just protect you going out after Lot. I'm still going to be protecting you. I'm your forward and your rear guard, Abram. But more than that, Abram, I am your exceedingly great reward. Exceeding, exceeding force, abundance to great degree. To become great, to become numerous, multiple, increase, enlarge, to do much. Your hire, your wages, your reward, your pay, your fare, your free passage. That Abram, I want to protect you, I'm going to guard you, but I'm your reward. If you remember, Abram wanted, well, Sodom, Abram went out and all these rewards were rightfully his, but he just let him go. Sodom wanted to bless him. He said, no way. He gave some to the king of uh, uh, Melchizedek, king of Salem, as a tithe to the Lord. They offered it up to the Lord and gave glory to God. He let his men get paid, but he walked away empty-handed. He risked everything, and he didn't come away with any sort of paycheck. And that's always hard at work, right? If we risk everything, we put our lives on the line for our job, and then one day they can us. Or bonus time comes around. You know, you guys remember Christmas vacation? Uh, and he, he's getting ready to build this pool and he puts all this money and deposit down and he gets uh, his, finally gets the letter in the mail from work about his bonus and it's the jelly of the month club. You know, he's like, where's my bonus? And you know, the, the whole sitcom goes on from there. But man, that's not the way it is with the Lord. He doesn't just say, oh, you risked it all. Here you go. Here's a little bit for you. Uh, here's a jelly of the month club subscription. Um, but Abram begins to ask, you know, God, I tithed you, you know, I gave all this up, and I think maybe he's getting a little fleshy, maybe he's not, but I think he's wondering, you know, God, what will you give me? You know, you promised me these things, but I haven't seen them yet. Are, are you really going to give them to me? Did I, did I hear you right? You know, um, but he desired of the Lord, I believe, to bless him. He didn't let anyone else bless him, and when it came down for his whining and crying time, it was with the Lord. You know, we all desire blessing in life. What differs is who we desire it from and what form of payment we want it in. You know, I read some state taxes are taking Bitcoin and things now. You know, they'll take anything these days as long as they get their money. Um, and I wonder if they will with that because the market's fluctuating. But we see this theme in the Bible of people wrestling with God to get their blessing like Jacob and he ends up getting his hip out of joint. But he says, God, you know, you haven't given me a child. There's no child. What about, what about the promise? You know, what about the promise? Part two from verses 12, one through three. God says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. That God says that you have to leave your homeland. So Abram left his homeland. And after Abram left it, he's going, well, the next part was there's supposed to be a child in this and, and there isn't, Lord. There isn't some fruit from this step I've made. He says, all I have is my servant, this guy Eleazar from Damascus. You know, maybe this is one of the servants that he armed, that he trusted, that was, you know, he's from Damascus, so he's not necessarily born in his house. But this is the guy who's over, over charge of everything now, sort of, I guess, like Joseph in Potiphar's house. Like, yeah, he's a great guy, and he takes care of everything, but he's from Damascus. He's not, he's not my boy. He's not my son. He's not his own son. And I think that that's, I know that it's something so special for a man to have a son. I know this because I have a son. I didn't really know what it was like 
beforehand. But having a son, um, they're special about it. And nothing, not that it takes away from having daughters or how special they are, but there's just, it's just different. I think of Paul and Timothy. Paul calls Timothy a son in the faith, uh, son in the faith, in 1 Timothy one one through two. And it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, our hope, to Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father, to the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was a true son. And Paul said, I don't have a lot of guys who are like-minded. I don't have a lot of guys who are in the gospel for the right reasons. But this guy Timothy, he's my son. I don't have any physical children, but this guy, if I had a son. He's my son in the faith. That he was born and he's like a son and I'm like his father. I don't know about you, and I hope it's true for me, but I want to be a true son in the faith. And I believe you do too. Son or daughter. (laughs) That we want to be true children of God in the faith. We don't want to just be hanging around a neighbor's house when the dinner bell rings, we have to go home. We want to be true sons, able to go in daddy's bedroom and go into his closet and get his boots or get you know whatever the tool out of the garage or whatever it is that we would have access to as children you know abram was looking to a servant to be his heir does that sound familiar what happens later on as we'll read with uh, sarai and uh, wanted to take hagar oh hey a servant one of being your heir um you know that's that's not what god says is for abram here and so what does God do? God doesn't answer him right away. He says, Abram, let's go outside. Let's go outside. Let's look up at the stars. And, I, and it is very important for us sometimes to step away, step outside of our prayer closet or outside of our problem, and not to escape our problem for escape's sake, but just take a breath away. We're getting so close to the forest that we can't see the trees. Step outside. And what does God say? He says, have a drink, Abram. No, he says, look up at the stars. He says, don't turn to your vices. Don't look around to the world for answers. Look up toward heaven. That Abram was to go outside immediately and to look upward. That Abram had been looking towards earth. He had been looking toward his own problems, his own fears, his own insecurities about what's going to happen. He was worried about dying. He was worried about the end of his life, about not having someone to pass it on to. But ultimately, it was about not having God's promise to him fulfilled, I believe. But did Abram have any real reason to worry? It's really easy for us as Sunday morning quarterbacks to look at this and go, Abram, didn't you read five chapters ahead? You know, don't you know that you're the father of faith, that you're in the New Testament? You know, Abram had no clue. No clue. And sometimes we feel that way, that we have no clue. And if you feel like you have no clue, I encourage you, go outside. Look up to heaven. Literally. And you're taking the trash out of night. Just stop on the way back and if it's starry or not, look up and consider for a minute you know I think when we do that we, we realize just how big God is and how little we are and it's going to be okay but he says to you to me to look now towards heaven and 2 Corinthians 6 2 it says in an acceptable time I have heard you and in the day of salvation I have helped you behold now is the accepted time behold now is the day of salvation in Luke 21 28 Jesus says now when these things begin to happen Look up and lift up your hands because your redemption draws nigh. That God says, today is the day of salvation. If you don't know the Lord, and I believe we all know the Lord here, but if we didn't, and those who don't, that today is the day. Look up. You've got problems. Your life has gone away. Don't wait any longer. Just look up and trust God. 
But God also says, as we've been saved, and as these things, these signs of the end come to be, and as the problems of the world multiply and increase, well, look up and lift your hands towards heaven. Get ready to go on that roller coaster ride and go home because that day of salvation is coming. It's near. And it's always near. God is always near. Sometimes he feels far away. His promise seems distant and unrealistic, but it's not. Abram believed in the Lord, it says, and the Lord accounted it to him for righteousness. You know, I believe Abram was saved. I believe the time of the tree was the turning point in Abram's walk. I think that this is where it got deep for Abram. That Yeah, he believed God, but now it had to go deeper. It wasn't just for where he lived. It wasn't just for his physical provision, but it was for a deep, intimate, personal desire and promise to him to be fulfilled. And it makes me remember Noah. When God looked at Noah and God said, oh, he's got grace in my eyes that just like that, just like Noah wasn't perfect, Noah trusted in God and God accounted it to him for righteousness. You know, Abraham knew God and, and had heard what God had personally had for him. Like I said, it wasn't just a place to live, his place in the world, but it was his place and his children's place in the next life. He knew, and this promise wasn't just for this life, but it was for eternity. And that's the best part about God's promises is that, you know, they can't be stolen. They can't be robbed. They can't burn down because they're eternal promises. They're heavenly promises. That even like Job, if everything goes away, blessed be the Lord who gives and takes away because God will always give more than, than he's taken away from us. But it was bigger than Abram could see. Bigger than Abram could ever imagine. God tells him to count the stars in heaven. Can you count how many descendants you're going to have? Can you count all the stars? And I think Abram obviously is only thinking about physical children. But what's beautiful is that this is more than just earthly descendants. This is about children of faith and everyone who comes to faith in God. Uh, Paul brings it up in Romans and Galatians, and James does too, that Abram believed and God accounted to him for righteousness, that it was about Abram's faith. He trusted in God through faith. And I won't read it for time, but if you look up um, Romans 4, 1 through 10. Romans 4, 1 through 10. Galatians 3, 6 through 14. And James 2.23, I'll read this last one. It says, And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abram believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. And I post these notes online, so if you want to go on the website later and grab them, you can get them. Um, but it wasn't Abram's actions. All these verses talk about it. wasn't Abram's actions, his good deeds. It wasn't saving his nephew. It wasn't being a good neighbor that gave him righteousness. It was only because Abram believed God at his word. It was only through faith. You know, these works wouldn't come until much later. The real work wouldn't even come for many years later when he went to offer Isaac up as a sacrifice. That that was the end of the faith here, that God said, oh, well, I don't have any kids, and God gives him a kid finally after years, and then the kid grows up, and God says, well, sacrifice him. Abram goes to sacrifice him, and he says immediately, he gets up the next day and goes, and he just knew, he had faith in him. It was evident. Abram at this point knew without a doubt that God was going to provide whatever happened. If Isaac lived or died, he knew that God would, would answer, um, would fulfill his promise. And that's the faith I want to have, to know that, man, even when it doesn't look like it, even when I have to make a sacrifice, even when I have to whatever, I know that God is going to come through, and, and I want to have faith like that. But receiving the blessings of God start with our faith in the one who blesses. You know, when someone makes a promise to you, two different people can make the same promise, right? 
two different candidates can make the same promise to you that they're going to keep their word and stand up for you and give you everything you need and then you pick one of them and then they get in office and you realize well they're all controlled by the same people <laughs> and it's all just a scheme but they don't keep their promises hopefully one will you know maybe two people propose to you at the same time i don't know i know i didn't have that problem um but maybe you know like your shows like the bachelor and these things that i haven't really watched but you know of where all these people are making promises and everything and you pick one and it's just a sad mess it's it's comical and how sad it is but two people can make the same promise and you're going to believe one over the other over who they are and god makes us a promise and the world makes us promises so who do we believe because god is who he says he is he's our shield and our exceedingly great reward you know the promise is immediate it's now but the fulfillment might take some time and let's go on in verse 7 it says then god said to him i am the lord who brought you out of ur of the chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it and abram said lord god how shall i know that i will inherit it so he said to him bring me a three-year-old heifer a three-year-old female goat a goat a three-year-old ram a turtle dove and a young pigeon then he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other but he did not cut the birds in two and when the vultures came down to the carcasses abram drove them away and we'll stop there god reminds abram of where he brought him from that he's faithful he says abram i brought you from remember where i brought you from and I'm bringing you out and I brought you here that I'm faithful to bring you here and keep you safe. Didn't I do that for you? You know, I think it's important that we remember from time to time where God has brought us from. It's easy to get caught up and, and either begin to think God's not faithful or think that we've done something special on our own and really remember what has God brought us through. Remember hard times, difficult times, and what God has spoken to you about. That's why it's so important to mark up your Bible, highlight your Bible, write them down, bookmark it in the app. To look back, journal, whatever it takes, and look through. And, and as you, you know, come back through your devotional time and come back through that scripture, you see, oh, God gave me this verse on this date. And I remember what I was going through at that time and how faithful he was to, to take care of me. But God says more than that to Abram. He says, I didn't just bring you out. I didn't just you know, pack your bags, put you in the car and drive you just to get you out of there. But I brought you out of that place with an express purpose to give you new inheritance. Abram, you had inheritance in your dad's house. You had inheritance in your hometown. But I had something better for you, something greater for you, something that could only come from me, Abram. And what a picture that is that's repeated over and over through uh, Scripture of our salvation. That God would bring his people out of a place with a purpose, to bring them into a new place and give them purpose and a hope and calling and life. Like the Israelites out of Egypt like us out of our sin, that we would be brought out of some inheritance of death and given an inheritance of life. And that's what God's promises are. They're always, they're always life to us. They're always love. They're always to have faith in Him. But there's always life at the end of it. You know, even if it's the end of an earthly life, there's eternal life. There's, there's fruit in it. And God's promises are always full of purpose. Purpose. This world is looking for purpose. A lot of times, people go, "What's my purpose? And what am I doing here? And well, you know, what's my purpose? You know, <laughs> I don't know." But people are missing purpose in life, and I hope you're not missing purpose. And if you are, it's okay, because God has purpose. God has something to put in its place. And, you know, that's evident in the world that people are missing purpose because we see school shootings, we see suicide, 
You see, not, not even knowing who they are. It's because they don't have purpose. And I think deeper than that, it's because they don't have the promise. The further we stray from God's promise, I believe, the less purpose we find in life. Because the promise and the vision and faith and purpose go together. Because when we know we have vision, we know we have purpose. We know that, wow, Abraham says, I don't have any kids, but God's purpose in me is to bless the nations, is to bring a nation into being that's not here, that God can use. But even as God says this, good old Abram says immediately, you know, we see kind of like this weird skip in the verses there, and he says, yeah, God, well, how would I know that I'm going to inherit it? You know, uh, is there a sign? Can I get a contract? Uh, is there a return policy here? He's really saying, Lord, can I take you at your word? And in some way, I get the sense of Abram's Middle Eastern sensibilities coming through, his bargaining spirit. You know, we see that later on. Abram begins the bargain for uh, tomb, and he's like, well, what's $40 between friends? And, you know, well, you know, and they have this whole thing going on. Um, but Abram says that God, uh, let me back up. We see that a lot in his family throughout the years. We see that. Um, with uh, Jacob and uh, uh, Isaac and Rebecca, right? And Jacob and Rachel. And yes, right. Jacob goes to marry Leah, but his father-in-law, you know, he goes to marry Rachel and his father-in-law gives him Leah. Like, well, you gave me your word. I worked seven years for you. Well, we have this custom. You know, it seems to be in his family. But Abram says, God, how shall I know? And God doesn't say, well, two plus two equals four, Abram. And I said it to you, so buckle up and just believe me. God says, let's go outside again. Let's go get some animals. Let's have a sacrifice. This is how you're going to know, Abram. There's going to be a sacrifice. But we too, as modern day believers, have a guarantee of our inheritance. Have a guarantee of our salvation. That's through sacrifice. The Holy Spirit. When Jesus died on the cross, that veil was torn. God's glory is now available for everyone to experience and His Spirit is able to dwell within us. But the Holy Spirit Himself, God didn't just give us a sticker or a paper. He gave us Himself and the Holy Spirit. He says in Ephesians 1, 11-14, In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. But the proof that we're saved is that we have the Holy Spirit. The proof that God's promise is going to come true in us, that we have the Holy Spirit ministering to us. The evidence that we're going to go to heaven one day, the guarantee is that the Holy Spirit is in us and ministering to us. So if He's the evidence, if He's the proof, don't neglect Him. Do you hear the Holy Spirit? And when you do, do you trust Him? You know, we have important paperwork in our lives, insurance papers, documents for our cars, our possessions. Maybe we have a fire safe at home or a lockbox. We put them in there because it's important. We watch our wallet because our credit card is... To guarantee that we are who we are to our bank and you know uh, to the store so we watch those things but even more the Holy Spirit is the evidence we're saved it's not our good works our fruit will come out but that's 
from the Holy Spirit. And so if the Holy Spirit is in you and I, that's all we need to know that we're saved. You know, because sometimes we don't see the growth. We don't see the fruit. Sometimes we see how we are acting and we know we shouldn't be and we're convicted. And sometimes our heart condemns us, as the Bible says, but God is greater than our hearts because God loves us. And if he's living in us, then, well, we're his. We're his. And the only sign and miracle we should need to see from God is the sign of the cross. And I don't mean we just need to go around making signs of crosses and hanging on crosses, but the miracle at the cross. You know, it's good to have a cross maybe in your house to remember, but it's a foolish and wicked generation that seeks after signs. And I worry about myself, I worry about the church, because the church seeks after signs and wonders and miracles so often and, and not the one who brings them. But from there we can expect and even ask God to work in more ways because we have access to Him. We have access to God through the promise. We have assurance that that promise is true through the Holy Spirit. And we can come to Him because if the Holy Spirit's in us and the Holy Spirit is God, well, we're already there. There's no bridge to cross. It's already been crossed, so to speak. There's no wall between us. It's been brought down. In fact, He's behind the wall. He's, he's, He's behind the iron curtain of our hearts. But we have access to God. You know, through the internet, through smartphones, we have access to all of human knowledge. We have access to almost anyone we want to. We can video chat and talk and get almost live feeds from everywhere in the world. And as it continues to go on, we see great deception coming through these things. But we have more access than the person even with the greatest smartphone plan, even the president and everything he has access to. We have access to the great I am. And he's interested in us. He's here for us. It's not like we come into his room and he's like, Busy doing something else. Oh, hey, just sit over there. <laughs> you know, I'm busy. He says, come in. Come sit in my lap. I have, I have something for you. I want to talk to you. He's ready both to make and to keep his promises to us. Not because he has to, but because he loves us. You know, your phone will never love you. The politician will never love you. But God loves you. And what does God say? God says to Abram, well, let me, let me show you that this is going to come true. Let me prove it to you. Let me write it down in blood for you, Abram. Go get a cow. Go get a goat. Go get a ram. Go get a turtle dove. Go get a young pigeon. You know, uh, I looked briefly. I didn't take the time to actually go into Levitical law. You could probably find in numbers and in all that area what each of these was, was specifically before in the future. But we see that there's this sacrificial system long before the law was written. A lot of times we think it was the law that instituted these things. But these things existed before then, and people knew it. We saw it in the garden with the, the garments. We saw it with Cain and Abel in the, in the right sacrifice. But all these physical sacrifices are pictures of the spiritual. They are physical visions of spiritual sights. Just like the temple was a shadow, and the, the, the ordinances, the holidays, the festivals were all shadow of things in heaven. These sacrifices, God didn't really need a cow cut up. God didn't really need a ram cut up. But it was uh, showing a picture of a spiritual truth, of a spiritual thing that needed to happen, but it had to come through a physical sacrifice. Matthew Henry's commentary here, I think, is really good. It says, Perhaps Abram expected some extraordinary sign from heaven, but God gives him a sign upon a sacrifice. Note that these would receive the assurances of God's favor and would have their faith confirmed must attend instituted ordinances and expect to meet God in them. You know, like he's saying that 
If we want to meet God and we want to receive God's promise, we must meet God in the prescribed way, in the sacrificial way, in the ordinances that he's prescribed, such as believers going to church, worship, prayer, fellowship, that we're not going to encounter God, so to speak, on a regular basis outside those things. Yeah, uh, there's been times I've been watching a movie and God will minister to me something because I need to hear it. But that's not the primary way I meet with God. The primary way I meet with God is through Scripture. And if I do hear from him watching a movie, I, you know, it better line up with Scripture. Otherwise, it's Steven Spielberg. And I don't want to hear from Steven Spielberg. But we need to expect to meet God in them. And it says, number one, God appointed that each of the beasts used for this service should be three years old, because then they were at their full growth and strength. And God must be served with the best we have, for he is the best. And number two, we do not read that God gave Abram particular directions how to manage these beasts. We don't see in Scripture here directions on what to do. Abram went and did it. Knowing that he was so well versed in the law and custom of sacrifices that he needed not any particular directions, or even if he needed need to, excuse me, directions, um, which he carefully observed, not recorded. So either Abram knew because there was cultural appropriation of sacrifices at the time, and God is meeting Abram through a known custom of sacrifice, or it's just not recorded here because the law hasn't come yet, so it's just not written down yet. But it must be prepared for the ratifying of a covenant. And he well knew the manner of preparing them. That in order for this covenant, this deal, this promise to be uh, satisfied between God and Abram, there must have been a sacrifice. And it says that Abram did all these things. He split the animals. He laid them out. Uh, you know, we see that Abram was looking up at the stars and now he's doing the sacrifice. Um, the birds are coming to drive them away. That he was out there for a while. This is probably at night God ministered to him in the stars. In the morning he got all the animals. They began to cut them up and set them out. But it says that the, the vultures began to come and try and take the animals. And Abram had to go out and shoo them away. Uh, you know, he was out there for a while. And even though Abram prepared that sacrifice, it took time for God to show up. And it wasn't that God was late. God's never late. I'm late, but God's never late. But I think that speaks to us that we must be patient for God's timing. That God will give us instructions, something to do, something to prepare, but he's not going to show up right away. He's not a magic wand. He's not a genie in a sacrificial bottle that we just rub and he shows up and, hey, what can I do for you today? Oh, God, give me this. Right away, we get it. You know, he's not a microwave. He's the eternal God. He's not a formula. He's a living being that we get to have a relationship with him through promise through faith but we see here that these covenants require a sacrifice you know it's been said that uh, there's that saying that you're shining your life away you know when you go sign the end of that contract that's your life you go write a 30-year mortgage you know i think about buying a house hopefully one day like 30 years if i bought a house today that means i'll be 66 Whew. well you know like that's a long time to think about um uh, there's even longer things than that or if you go to buy a car or other things I know I've heard musicians in the world who aren't, aren't believed tell of people who sign their soul over and are legitimately saying that that's what they did. You know, it'll cost you your life. Any, any type of these things will cost you something. But with that, when God gives us a prescription for sacrifice, a prescription for a covenant, it's our duty to drive away the enemy for coming and stealing what's rightfully the Lord's. When God says, make the sacrifice in your life, lay this out, wait for me to show up, we need to make sure the enemy doesn't come in and take it. We need to make sure that other people don't come in and mess it up. And isn't it like any time we go to get in worship, the phone rings, or the doorbell, and it's the Jehovah's Witness, or whatever the case may be, you remember, oh, uh, did I put a stamp on that? You know, 
we need to, to get those vultures out of there. We can worry about the stamp later. You know, if you smell gas in the house, you know, go turn off the oven, then come back to worship. But sincerely, we need to drive those vultures away when we come uh, to spend time with the Lord. Because otherwise, when God does show up, there won't be anything for that transaction to take place. You know, we need to be full of prayer. We need to be vigilance and servants and service and faithfulness in protecting the holy from the unholy. Because Ephesians six twelve says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness as age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We need to, to guard our children, to guard our friends, our family, our loved ones, the things that God has promised us in this life and the next. We must be vigilant to hold on to them. And a lot of times they're also not just handed over to us. We must be good stewards of them. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 5 says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required as stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or in human court. In fact, I do not judge myself, for I know of nothing of, against myself, yet I'm not justified by this. Paul says, I know I haven't done anything wrong, but it doesn't mean I'm okay. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring both to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts, that each one's praise will come from God, that we must be stewards of the mysteries of God. And we need to be very slow in order in judging how others steward those mysteries of God. We do need to watch out for heresy and wrong things, but at the end of the day, know that God is the one who's going to judge things, and if these things are mysteries, that in the end, God is the one who's going to give the reward, and God is the one who show who did it the right way and the wrong way. So we need to be very careful about our judgment of others, but in that, we need to be very careful to be a good steward of what God has given us. Let's go on. Uh, we'll read 12 to the end. It says, Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, a horror and great darkness fell upon him. And, he, and God said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them for 400 years. And also the nations whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with the great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between uh, those pieces of the sacrifice. And on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. But it says here that as Abram did this and as Abram waited and he was out there all day, that a deep sleep fell upon Abram. I'm sure Abram was tired. He was up all night. He was up all day. It was hot. He was getting rid of the, the vultures that came. But this was more than just being tired. It says a deep sleep fell upon Abram. It reminds me of when God put Adam into a deep sleep to provide for him for what he needed uh, to take his rib and bring Eve. But God promised, Abram prepared, and God gave Abram rest. God promised, Abram prepared, and God gave Abram rest. And in that rest, it says that there was terror of great darkness fell upon him, that God came in a nightmare. Wait a minute, is this right? Is that what, what it says here? You know, we see that in Exodus, God says to Moses, you cannot see my face. In Exodus 33, 17 to 23, I'm just going to read part of it. It says, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by, 
that I will put you in the clefts of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. God says to, to Moses, I'm going to let you see me, but I can't let you see my face because if you do, Moses, you're going to explode. <laughs> you're going to disintegrate. I'm going to cover you up. I'm going to hide you in a rock because I'm powerful and it's terrifying. And I believe in what we see in Scripture shows us that when we really see God, like it's been said, we fall down as dead. We fall down afraid. And God is the one who says, don't be afraid, John. Get up. Hey, get up. You're not dead. <laughs> I'm just going to show you heaven for a little bit. You're not dead yet. Don't worry. Um, I know I'm terrifying to look at. But God's presence is no joke. I mean, a lot of time we haven't received the presence of God because we don't understand how serious God is about his promise. God is not the man upstairs. He's not an old guy with a white flowing beard. I hope to be an old guy with a white flowing beard one day. I notice I got a white one on my mustache. I'm like, I can't plug that one. you know. <laughs> um, but God is an awesome, powerful God who dwells in unapproachable light. And that should be something to be, to be feared. Um, we'll get to that in a second. But he says, when we have a covenant with him, we need to know that it is a serious thing. It's a serious thing. Ecclesiastes um, 5, 1 through 7 talks about uh, we need to walk prudently when we go to the house of God to draw near, he- draw near to here rather than to give the sacrifice of fools for they do not know that they do evil. It talks about do not being rash with your mouth. Let your words be few. Uh, dreams come through much activity. A fool's voice is known by his words. But it says in verse 5, better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Or better not to promise than to promise and not pay. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin or say before the messenger of God that, oh, I shouldn't have said it. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands for the multitude of dreams and many words is vanity, but fear God. It says better, don't, don't make rash promises to God or anyone. It's better just to say, well, I don't know, than to make a promise, especially one that you can't keep. You know, 1 Corinthians 11, 27-32 talks about those who don't take communion seriously. Those who don't come and really examine themselves. And he says, that's why a lot of you are sick. Why are you facing judgment? Because you don't understand the seriousness of the cross. And it doesn't mean if you are sick, you haven't taken God seriously, or you haven't taken communion seriously. But a lot of times, you know, there was, there's something there. You know, we don't need to be afraid of God, but we must fear Him. You know, false religions like Islam... I'll say that on tape and on the internet. Islam is a false religion of hate. And they strive on fear. That you must fear God. That if you don't believe in Him, we're going to kill you. That you must live under this fear of Him. You know, but believe me, the true God will be terrifying in the day that He comes back for those that didn't believe on Him. People will be terrified and cry on the mountains to fall on them when He returns. But He doesn't have to be feared now. We can come to him now and say, God, forgive me. And God will say, of course. That's why I'm here. I'm giving you the opportunity. You know, like I read earlier before we started in Psalm 116, uh, it says, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. And I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you of Jerusalem, praise the Lord. David is saying here, the real repayment for his covenant with God is taking God's sacrifice to himself, taking communion in a sense to himself. And our payment of our promise to God is what? A life of praise. 
a life of singing to him and worshiping him and just being glad that he is who he is. I think that's how we know who really has inherited the promises of God is that their life is worship back towards God. Not that they're the best singer, not that they do the most show, song and dance and worship, but that their life is demonstrated by a life of praise to God. Not one who, oh, I fasted this week and I did this. Jacob, out of there. And you're going to get stuck, bud. And one that their life is really evident of God. A lot of people try and give sacrifices to God and say that their life is all about God and it's full of sacrifice and self-righteousness, but there's not true paying of vows to God of worship and praise in life. But God answers Abram's doubts in verse 8 when he says, How shall I know? God says to Abram in this nightmare, so to speak, No certainly. No certainly, Abram. No for sure, Abram. Don't have any doubts about this anymore. That this answer, this uh, matter has been answered. And God gives Abram a view of the future, a prophecy, a vision of a dark time to come. That Abram, you'll be fine. You're going to live. You're going to go to your fathers in peace. You're going to have a, a nice old age. Everything's going to be okay with you. But your descendants, it's going to be a while before they inherit this land. Um, that there's going to be dark times for them. They're going to be in slavery. But then know that I'm going to bring them back. That God gives a promise to Abram, but God also gives a promise for his descendants. That when they are in Egypt, they'll know that God is going to rescue them. But when there is darkness in our lives, we need to know that God has promised light at the end of it. There's light at the end of the proverbial tunnel, so to speak, with God. And I think that's a good way to tell God's promises away from the world's promises. Because the world's promises usually promise all light. It's all good. Everything's going to be okay and perfect. It'll be perfect right now and right away, and you'll get everything you want. But as soon as we take hold of it, as soon as we sign on the dotted line, we begin to see darkness and death creep in. We see, oh, this person isn't who they said they were. This thing isn't all it's cracked up to be. Like Satan to Eve in the garden. A promise of light, but all she got was death and darkness. You know, because if it's too good to be true, it probably is. But the promises of God, a lot of times we know they're true because it's a promise of truth through the darkness. Not of absence of darkness, but through it. Think of marriage vows. It's not, oh, I'll stay married to you as long as we're happy and good. It's through what? Sickness and then health married right babe <laughs> but the Israelites in Egypt we see they come out blessed the Egyptians bless them when they leave and God promises that uh, they're like hey get out of here <laughs> you know we had all these plagues just take our money go God blesses them with that but he says now as for you you know he gave a prom- long-term promise to his children but he gives an immediate promise to Abram that he'll die in peace Abram was afraid about where his life was going God said don't worry you got a good retirement coming you got life coming uh, it's okay but Abram's midlife crisis, you know, he's worried after the fight in the land, not making a pact with Sodom, but that he's going to be okay without his worldly protections. Worldly protections failed a lot. Abram doesn't need to worry about them. Like we talked about before, health insurance, 401k, retirement, mortgage, all these things are well and good, but where is our faith really in? You know, is it trusting Jake from State Farm or Jesus from heaven? I know that's cheesy, but sincerely, who are we trusting in? Do you know that God will provide for you, will answer his promise to you in all of these things? You know, I might be a greeter at Walmart if Walmart's still around in 40 years, but I know that God's my inheritance. He says, after four generations, they will return here. Abram, this will be your land while you live, but your kids, they're not really going to get it at all for a while. Um, It's going to take some time. Why? Well, he says, because there's other people here, and it's not time for them to leave yet. Because the iniquity of the Amorites has not been filled yet. And it's nice to see that God was giving the Amorites time to repent. 
oh, God in the Old Testament is a God of judgment and war, and he kills these people and drives them out. How is that right? Well, God gave them plenty of time to repent. And it was time for them to be uprooted because they had done wrong for 400 years. God gave the Amalekites, Amorites 400 more years to get right with God before he would give it to them. And I guarantee if they had repented and turned to God, they would have inherited land too. They would have become part of God's family so, somehow. And how do I know that? Because I'm a part of God's family. And you're a part of God's family. And I don't know that any of us are any part Jewish. I'm Irish. And somehow I got in. And that's because of Jesus. You know? I didn't bring enough potatoes to God. God doesn't accept the sacrifice of potatoes. But judgment uh, would come on the people of the land through God's people at what time? In the time it would, 400 years later, it would be just. It would be right when it did come. But right now, it wasn't time. It was time for Abraham, but it wasn't time for his children yet. And that's why God hasn't come back today. If we read Romans 11, we won't do it for time. It talks about the fullness of the Gentiles coming in. That God is not going to return. He's until the people who are going to turn to him have turned to him. And he's gracious. He could return right now and be totally right and just, but he gives us, the Amorites, time to turn to him before he comes and brings his people into the land. But it says, through the sacrifice of a smoking furnace and a fiery torch. Does that remind you of anything else in the Bible, Christian? About a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night that led the Israelites through the wilderness. Same sort of deal shows up here and does the sacrifice. And it's not just a deal. It's the Holy Spirit. It's God's Shekinah glory. It was there and it did the work. It burned up the sacrifice. He offered the sacrifice Abram prepared. Abram just prepared it, fell asleep. And God is the one who did the work. And the same thing in worship. When we come to worship Him, we just put the music on and bring ourselves there and let the Holy Spirit be the one who ministers to you and also uses you to minister back to God. We worship Him in what? Spirit and truth. It's not our own efforts. It's not our own abilities. It's not our own whatever we bring to God. It's just showing up and letting God do His thing and trying not to fall asleep during a boring message and a warm coffee house. <laughs> you know? We just come and show up. Because you know, it's no good unless God does it. If God's going to promise it, why are we going to try and, and get it to work on our own? You know, If Abram tried to burn it up, it probably would have been like when I cook, either overcooked or undercooked. You know, It didn't get all the way around the microwave and half of it's cold. You know? But when God does it, it's perfectly burned up and it's a sweet smell and aroma. Um, you know, Our part really, it's always just to prepare it. I don't know if this is right, Pagel, but we're just the, the sous chef cutting up the tomatoes. Is that the right word? Close enough. You know, we're the guy, the, the minimum wage guy at Chili's who's making the salad. You know, we don't have any real deal with it. Uh, but God's the one who turns us into something amazing. Turns the, the sacrifice into something sweet-smelling and pleasing to Him. We just lay it out before Him. Just lay it out. Lay out our lives before God. And He's the one who burns it up. But He says to Abram, from the Nile to the Euphrates... Can you picture it on your mind? You remember what that area looks like in school or from your map? If not, go on uh, the internet later and look it up. From the Nile to Euphrates, that's huge. Israel's not that big, guys. Nile to Euphrates is like this, and Israel is like this in the middle. There's a big swath of land that's supposed to be Israel. Oh, I said that. That's on the internet, too. <laughs> oh, Israel is supposed to be bigger than it is. It's all theirs. Uh, take me to jail. <laughs> and call me a bigot. It's not, it's not, it's not the Palestinian land, guys. They can have it if they turn to God. But they won't. Israel is abundant. It's not supposed to be New Jersey size. It's supposed to be Texas size. 
And isn't that in our lives so much? When we concede, when we don't protect from the vultures, God's promise that was meant to be big for us turns out to be a tiny little slice. It's a tiny little slice of heaven, no doubt. But man, God would have wanted it to be so much bigger and better for us. But as we close here, we see that it says that on the same day, the Lord made a covenant. Now the same day, God didn't make Abram wait another day. He waited for the sun to go down again. And God uh, fulfilled his promise to Abram. He, he ratified his covenant to Abram. And God is not going to let the sun go down on his promise to you. You know, Abram was looking up at the stars in the pre-dawn hours. He prepared and protected the sacrifice of the covenant all day. But the promise was guaranteed and ratified at dusk again. We talk about um, the Jewish calendar and day, so to speak. It's dust to dust, sundown to sundown. We go from sun up to sun up. But God's on a different calendar and time than we are, right? Um, you know, the day is not over yet. For God's fulfilling of his promise to you. It's not over yet. Even if you pass away, man, you're going to see it fulfilled. That's the day you truly see it all fulfilled. The day of salvation, right? It draws near. And whatever God has promised you, know certainly that He will do it. So look now toward heaven and ask God to show you. Because He will. And the sun, it's cloudy out, but we still got some sunlight left. I guarantee Spend a little time with the Lord today as you need it. He'll ratify that promise to you. So God, we love you. God, truly because you love us. And you've given us your Holy Spirit as a guarantee. So God, let us trust in you. And let it be counted up to us as righteousness. Because of what you've done. We know that you're faithful. And your faithfulness and your righteousness is given to us. So like the scripture said that uh, we took note of about being children of Abraham. The father of faith. That God... You promised him descendants as a nation of Israel, but you reveal in the New Testament that all those who come to you are faith in you are children of Abraham. Uh, God, you've made us uh, his children in a sense, but more than that, we're your children. So God, help us have faith in you and be fathers and, and mothers and brothers and sisters of faith. So come soon, we pray, but as long as we're here, God, help us keep looking up toward heaven. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.